Everyone loves a hero. Everyone loves you. This week we're taking one more turn with Beautiful Joe. turn i'm jim and i'm kevin man kevin i've been i've been playing a bit of this new uh neverwinter mmo it's a free-to-play mmo based on the neverwinter nights uh series by bioware i'm looking right now at this at this website uh that kind of comes with the game uh it is a tool that you kind of use when you're not actually in game to do all your the boring parts of the game i.e like the auction house and all that stuff right and I don't know how I feel about this because there is this there's a real world time component to it where all of the uh, all of your professions require a certain amount of real world time in order to complete. I believe like there's something kind of similar in like Eve Online, but I think there's also something very similar to most Zynga games. Well, wait, wait, hold on. Back up a little bit. Uh, real world time. Are you talking about that you have to go outside of say? The game time, like, what do you what do you mean by that? Are you talking? Because when I think real world, I think, you know, when it's sunny outside, it's sunny in the game. When it's nighttime outside, it's night in the game. They use sort of a real world clock in order to determine, you know, cycles of the game. What do you? What do you? Not what, well, not in, not in this case. I mean, that's that certainly holds true for for some things like uh, like Pokemon. I think that's relevant for. But this is just simply a oh here if you want to craft this item. That is going to require 25 minutes of time in order to do, whether you are in-game or not. Yeah, got it. I was, uh, yeah, they had something like that in Assassin's Creed where you send guys on missions. And it's like, it says it. It says it's going to take 20 minutes to send guys out on missions. And on, on that on that angle, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of real. You'd have to send guys out for real time. But, yeah, for something where it's like crafting, like, wouldn't you just go to your local Neverwinter Nights you know, uh, 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 tinker and he just have it ready for you. Have that, have that. Well, that's what you're doing. You're actually recruiting. You're actually recruiting these guys to, to do the work for you. And then they just, they just require however much time to do it. You're not actually doing it yourself. But now that's actually strange that you mentioned that Assassin's Creed has something like that. Why, why would that have that sort of component in a single player game? You, you are the guild master essentially of the Assassin's Guild. And there are missions to be accomplished all over Europe. Uh, uh, this is Assassin's Creed 2 and I think Brotherhood. No, Brotherhood. Okay. Brotherhood and Revelations. And uh, you, you know, there's, there's, you're not just taking over whatever town you're in. You, they want you to kind of have this influence all over Europe. That's kind of the idea behind it. So you send your, your, your pupils, your acolytes out to, you know, go poison a well in uh, Britain or go save a maiden in Russia. It's the, it's this idea. Are those the only two choices? There's nowhere in between. You have to either poison wells or save maidens. Uh, there's assassinations too, I imagine. Uh, uh, yeah. But what, lot, what does that get you? But it does. So what it gets you is it gets you, it gives them experience. So, and as they gain experience, they kind of become assassin masters themselves. And but if then you have, what does that get you? So, so, on missions and games, they can join you in fights. Mm. So, so and, and based on their level, they have, you know, better equipment. They can last longer in fights. They have more health. 
and what it ultimately does, it just gives you more partners to to, to fight. You, I, I tended not to use them unless sort of it was kind of required to get a, a, a whatever what they call in the game synchronization, uh, mm-hmm. which is you know better score essentially at the end. Uh, but it's 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 yeah at times it's a little tedious because they you know sometimes there's special items well, and you have to do these special missions to get to those items and it's like I, can I just go buy this thing somewhere can I, why do I have to wait you know minutes what's, or hours to what's get the it? what is the longest time that you have to wait for one of these missions to complete like twenty minutes so. What you'll do is, and you have to play that entire time. Oh, that was going to be my next question is, do you actually have to have the game on for the timer to be ticking? Because in this instance of playing Neverwinter, that goes whether the game is on or not. And so you even have this app, uh, like an app on your phone to actually just handle all of your your crafting and even all of your, like your auction house, all of your auctions, without even touching the game. Yeah, it's, that seems strange to me because if you... Why would you, what motivates you to stick around for 20 minutes if you have that option? You know, if I'm the designer, the, the idea in, in, the, in Assassin's Creed is it's, you know, you send those guys out and then you have to spend 20 minutes in the game. You're spending time, you know, in the DLC or in some type of loadable map, but basically you're spending time in the game. For Neverwinter, if you just, if it's just 20 minutes, you have to wait. I mean, wouldn't you just pause it, go have lunch? Well, I mean, you can go do other things. Presumably, you can go do other things. But also, things last longer than 20 minutes. As a matter of fact, most things do. So some things can take as long as... Some take, like, four hours. If you want to recruit new guys or upgrade your guys, that's going to require, like, 18 hours. And, of course, due to it being, like, a free-to-play online game, there is a rush button. Uh, How much does that cost? Uh, that requires some other type of currency because the dang game has something like six different types of currency. Oh my oh, gosh! What? Is this Europe? Yeah, this, no, this, there's no Europe. Yeah, there's no, no, it's no 1990s Europe. Euro. There's no Euro, huh? Okay. Yeah, no, it's like you need crystals, but in order to get crystals, you have to be doing this stuff as opposed to getting regular money, but not not like the PvP money. That's a different money, and there's no. There's no simple exchange for most of these. It's not it is, like it's not like England where it's like a pence and then a pence becomes, you know, uh, 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 they have like five different names for their currency. No, no, but there, you can exchange between two of them. Of the six different types, there is like one specific one to another specific one, and that is the only exchange that you can do. Everything else requires like some great laundering uh, business or something like that. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, but like this ultimately just feels like Facebook games just sort of interfering now uh, with MMO design. And I don't know whether – is that what needed to be learned from from the rise and fall of Zynga? Well, uh, yeah. I Well, with those Facebook games, you know, you get currency based on interactivity. So, I mean, is, does it have that kind of component to it? No, not really. It's not yeah, not like, that I've seen so far. Yeah, like in Zenga, you you know, you're Farmville, whatever you want to, whatever those multitude of Facebook games. It's it's, uh, hey, you know, it's you build a city and then you tell your friend, hey, like my city, or you know, you know, become a citizen of my city, or some you know, some sort of interactivity, and that gains you more gold or points or whatever right so this, or allows you to like reset a timer or something like that right so this doesn't even have that component like there's no interaction it's just sit and wait yeah 
Huh. Yeah, it, it's strange I, I because it. we've this as I kind of mentioned before that's not the only uh instance of of real time usage in there like I mentioned um that was a a pretty common thing for some of the DS Pokemon games was that that uh the time in game was synced up to your time on your DS unit itself mm-hmm. and certain Pokemon would only be available during the day some would only be available during night some would only be available on Wednesdays yeah and of course yeah. then because of that since I, I i assume most gamers have a rather consistent play schedule is that if you were only playing a playing this game once you got out of work or something like that you wouldn't be yeah. able to catch anything that came out in the morning so like i feel everyone else who played that game would you're just going in and just hard setting your the the ds clock in order right. to try to in order to try to min max this, yeah, that's kind of what happened in Animal Crossing. I would when I played that, it was it was. I think there, there are seasons, and different seasons produce different uh, kind of activities. Specifically, like you you, this is going to sound this is so Nintendo. You take fruit and sell fruit, and but certain fruit gives you better you know sale has better value. So you specifically would set your like time you'd set to like months ahead and then set back months before in order to in order to uh to, to, oh, to get, so get buying, those items so you're buying all your fruit in season and then going back yeah. in time in order to sell it when it's <laughs> yeah, out of go, season kind of, not really you have to sell it while it's still on the ground or it dies but how nintendo actually battled that was kind of a cool little way to people to get to get people not to cheat is they set this little thing called Rossetti. Or they not Rossetti? They'd have Tom Nook come and like tell you, "Hey, you've been gone for like six months. What's up, bro? Like, what? <laughs> where you been?" Like they would kind of figure out ways in game to kind of re- like kind of say, "Like, hey, that's not cool that you reset your clock." Or Was it kinda... just trying to guilt people into it? Like they <laughs> yeah, weren't they weren't bit. actually causing like an actual penalty to your. No, farm. Just, they would just try to have this obnoxious guy just show up and just yeah, say like, "Hey, you you're now six months back on rent. What's the deal?" Yeah, yeah, they make you feel bad. You know, I, yeah. So I'm going back to the currency thing. Sorry, you just you. That is a, that's kind of an old thing, actually. I remember playing like an old D and D on Commodore, a D and D game on Commodore, like a gold and, box game. Yeah, and what it had was you had platinum coins, gold coins, silver coins, and copper coins, and certain items could only be purchased with certain coins. Oh, but was there an exchange for for these? Like, there was. Was, it, was yeah, there was like, like a hundred copper equals a silver, hundred silver yeah, equals a copper was, or gold? There was there was that too, but there were only you know you couldn't you couldn't walk in with a thousand copper and buy something that was you know ten ten silver. You gotcha. had to go you had to go get it exchanged, and you had to go get the right the right currency in order to pay for stuff. So yeah. it's it's it seems like a tedious like it just seems unnecessary. Like just put a price on everything, well, you know? It, right. I mean, there's there's tr- there's an interesting thing that they're trying to accomplish with this is that I believe that they're, what they're aiming for is they're trying to allow many different types of game well, not necessarily types of gamers, but gamers with different objectives going into an MMO to be able to level and to be able to accomplish things regardless of how they actually want to do this. So if you want to be doing uh, dungeons with your friends, that will give you this type of currency, which will be able to, you'll be able to cash in for items that will be able to help you when you go to do more dungeons. Similarly, for PvP, you get PvP, quote, glory as their uh, as mm. their currency, which you then can use for 
uh, PvP-centered gear, you get rewarded by doing a thing with something that will help you continue to do that thing. So if you actually want to then spread out and you want to try uh, and see all the different uh, all the different facets of the game, uh, it won't allow you to exchange a lot of a lot of these different currencies, which is uh, which is pretty frustrating. It's like if I want uh, maybe one suit of armor, I'm gonna have to start farming one specific uh, like PvP instance. Mm. Um, instead of being allowed to do how I would like to play the game in order to get the reward that I like. You know, this isn't this isn't a Chuck E. Cheese's like ticket like ticket counter here where I could just walk up, plop down as much currency as I have, and just say, "Hey, I'd like the bicycle, please." To be fair, there there is the creepy animatronic uh, animal singing to you in this game, right? That oh, sure, sure. Uncomfortable. And at the end of the day, the only rewards I get were plastic mustaches. This week we're doing Beautiful Joe, uh, which was originally released in 2003 for the GameCube. Uh, came out a year later on the PlayStation 2. It's a time manipulation game, and other games that kind of came around at the same time that did something similar included uh, Prince of Persia, which everybody, uh, The Sands of Time, which everybody recognizes, Enter the Matrix, and more specifically the Matrix movies that kind of did the same time manipulation stuff. Max Payne, which had the bullet time, and uh, one game called Blinks the Time Sweeper for Xbox, if, if you could remember that one. Uh, really- I sure don't. I sure don't. <laughs> I, I apologize. That was back in the realm where every every video game series needed their own animal mascot. Yeah, yeah it was... Uh, yeah, this, guy even, this guy even has like a time gun that looks like a guitar. He looks like a Ghostbuster, right? I mean, it's a cat with like a Ghostbuster proton pack. I don't know. Oh my gosh, this is something that just came out of DeviantArt. <laughs> right. So, Beautiful Joe was the second game of the Capcom 5, and for those of you who don't remember, the Capcom 5 were five games that were supposed to be exclusive to the GameCube system when they came out. Uh, the first one was PN03, which was, uh, I played it, you're like a cyborg ninja, and it was terrible. Uh, then Beautiful Joe, uh, then a game that was never came out called Dead Phoenix, well, of course it never com- comes out with a name like Dead Phoenix. How can you release a game with such an, like, an oxymoronic title? I, I, that's, that's close to the thing. It, it's dead, but then it rises from its grave. And, you know, it does... Oh, so you're saying it's still secretly in development. Sure, sure. I'll come back in, uh, who knows, a hundred years. A thousand years. A thousand years, yeah. From the wreckage too. of our civilization <laughs> comes a GameCube I, exclusive. I, I actually think that Dead Phoenix, because I saw some screenshots of it online, and... It looks eerily similar, or, or very much reminded me of the final boss in the original Devil May Cry. So, oh, the the, the airplane part. Yeah, where you all of a sudden it's a bullet. It's a yeah, bullet hell. Bullet hell. Yeah, eerily like it looks like it almost came out of that. Like they were like, oh, we 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 <laughs> Devil May Cry. Everyone remembers it for that great bullet hell scene. <laughs> Let's make a whole game out of that but, and nothing else. <laughs> yeah. And it would be strange then, because I imagine the last level of that game would actually be like a 3D platformer where you just have this giant sword that you have to just go fight a giant bug. Makes per- and it's just completely different than everything else. Makes just so when sense. you combine the two games, it all makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's all the same universe. Well, you're going to find that out about Beautiful Joe and, and Devil May Cry. So uh, also part of the Capcom 5 was Resident Evil 4, 
which, you know, everybody knows, and Killer7. Well, Resident Evil 4, GameCube exclusive. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, it came out on no other system, not PlayStation, not a Wii version. Nope, it was just... And then, yeah, so, and the guys behind, uh, specifically behind Beautiful Joe were... It was then called Team Beautiful, later to become Clover Studios. Changed their name to Clover when they did the PlayStation 2 port of Beautiful Joe. And uh, which eventually, through companies and sub-companies and other companies and sister companies, became Platinum Games. Uh, and this was director Hideki Kamiya, uh, who was a part of Resident Evil 1, 2, and 0, uh, another GameCube exclusive. Uh, he also directed Devil May Cry. Uh, but he only did the first one. He did none of the sequels. After Beautiful, he, uh, him specifically, but Clover as well, did Okami, the much-beloved Okami, Bayonetta, and soon to be the Wonderful 101, which if you look at the character design in that, it is strikingly similar to Beautiful Joe. Specifically, this game, though, getting into Beautiful Joe, as I mentioned before, it's a 2D single-player side-scrolling beat-em-up Purely 2D, not not the fake not the fake 2D like a Final Fight where you can kind of go up and down on the screen. Like purely, you are on one flat plane when you fight people. Oh sure, sure, but it certainly it looks 3D. Yes, yes, there are layers. They especially uh, they have like foregrounds and backgrounds, and there are there is a 3D rotating screens. Yes, there's 3D elements to it, but it's the actual fighting and the and the actual beat 'em up is purely on a on a XY uh, scale. The story is pretty simple. You're, well, simple enough. Uh, you're just a superhero who's trying to save his girlfriend. Well, that's how kind of how it starts, right? Right. You don't start off as a superhero. You start off as some movie buff who slowly gains his time-warping superpowers to save his girlfriend through various movie-themed levels. But the basic story is, I gotta save my lady. When, when did you play this for the first time? Uh, I think I I played it originally around the time it came out. I I rented it from just a video game rental store in my neighborhood, still in junior college, trying to figure out my life, much like Joe tries to figure out his life. It might be relevant even to two guys trying out their first podcast. (laughs) Sure, sure. I actually didn't really like it the first time I played it. Uh, I got kind of, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was cool looking, but I probably got to like level three or four and got a little, little tired of it the first time. I don't know why. I, I, it didn't make a mark on me the first time I played it. I just was like, no, oh. I, I can imagine. I can imagine your frustration because I, I remember. I remember playing this back in high school, and I, I loved. I loved how stylized the game was, and I liked it enough to eventually pick up the sequel out of the ten dollar bargain bin. Yet all, like all I remembered about it, like when it was even initially brought up to play this, was there being some gosh darn shark boss that was the most irritating thing in the world. In this second playthrough, I didn't have that much trouble as you did with the shark boss. I hated the dinosaur guy. I yeah, oh, I interesting. Hated him. interesting. After well, sure. Like after after my first two, um, after my like, my first two tries at it, which I experienced massive PTSD. I, it turned out to be not not too bad. The shark it still guy. has some. It still has some complete BS elements to it, though. But we can get to that later. So, what's the first level like? What's the you know, how how does this game introduce us to the gameplay to the to us basically? Well, it, it's kind of interesting because they just throw you in there as just some dude just there with his fists and his little backwards hat and his soul patch and what have you, and you're just like you're just punching punching robots. Then it just hits you with this wall of text as to how to do more or less anything in combat, 
where it just gives you the, oh, here's how to dodge an attack. Oh, look, now you can punch this guy, and your punches hit eh, 20 times harder. It's kind of frustrating in a way of having to read the instruction manual in-game. Yeah. yeah, it's strange, because, like, I'm sitting here, I have the instruction manual right here, and I don't think it even displays as much in it as as it does on the screen at the time where it's trying to teach you how to fight. Well, the, 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 the thing I found frustrating about those tutorial screens is they're so uh, dynamic that mm-hmm. you feel like, oh, shit, I gotta hurry up and, and do this and train real fast or I'm gonna die. Like, it, it I don't know. Did that happen to you? I got this feeling of of, like... If I don't hurry up and and get through this tutorial real quick, uh, my character's gonna get hit or get hurt or something. Like they don't they don't ease you into it. They very much try to like us. Not really. I actually I appreciated the the sandbox that it kind of gave you to actually play around with that. And now early on, there's not there there aren't that many things you can actually do with it. So like after you fight one or two guys, it's like okay, I get it. We can move on now right. by hitting the select button. Strangely enough. Like, I played the PlayStation 2 version, and it, who, like, whatever uses the select button in a PlayStation 2 game? They did the same thing, that you have to use Z. And by the way, speaking of buttons, the GameCube controller for this game is terrible. It is the worst controller for this type of game, because the... <laughs> How so? The, well, specifically the L and the R buttons, um, they are weirdly pressure sensitive. So, like... It's. It feels like it. It gets caught on something, and then you have to kind of push harder. Oh, huh. It's. It's. Whereas. Whereas the PlayStation Two is a button. Like you just push a button down. Right. 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 It has like this dampening effect at the front of the button, and then you kind of hit a click, and then you have to push harder to get all the way down. And so with a game like this, where you are constantly hitting L and R, I. I started to hurt my wrists a little bit because it's like. Yeah. No. Just... I completely understand that. I mean, especially like there are enemies that, like towards the end where it's just you are constantly going in and out of slow motion or zoom in. How did how did the the GameCube controller handle the zoom in? What did you have to do for that? It's just uh, up on the C, up on the uh, control stick. So, oh, okay. so the right okay. control is just up and or down. Now it's kind of interesting as uh, in the the first level of the game because it. It just seems to be completely eclectic and just like trying to introduce you to all environment that all environments that may later come up because you're just like constantly going from okay here's like an outdoors scene you're running through a garden now you're in a house now you're in some sewers for some reason now you're fighting on top of this dinner table with this massive feast and there's nothing there but helicopter enemies yeah i couldn't understand that first that first level cuz were we in a church were we in a mansion I think the because the the boss of the first level is the uh, Batman or Man Bat. Mm-hmm. Sure. You yeah you're in a garden and then you go into this like churchy mansion place. Yeah, you're on the banquet level with like thorns on the ground for some reason. For some reason, this guy keeps like thorns all over the bottom of his house. Sure, it's a poison ivy banquet. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, you're in the main hall where a helicopter flies. It. It was just like the bizarre mix. Yeah, of every. Of everything, really. Like it, it, and then after that, after you're fighting the helicopter, you're in some type of like wine casket or wine dungeon. <laughs> I, I oh yeah! <laughs> like you're going through there's barrels. There's like these barrels that roll at you Donkey Kong style, and you got to punch them away or jump over them. Right. And ultimately, I think it, they are kind of previews for for the later levels, and not all of them, but you know, there are certainly ones that are played out more. But they're just kind of like all smashed together at once. Oh my gosh, yeah. So how about the uh, how about the introduction to the story? <laughs> well, okay. 
I'm going to pull this apart. All right. I am going to. Joe is watching a movie with his girlfriend, Sylvia. Sylvia, she just wants to get down. Like, she is like, hey, we're all alone in this movie theater. Let's let's get to the lovemaking. Like, she is just like, hey, pay attention to me. Let's do She dives on him. She pushes him out of the chair and starts making out with him. And he's like, no, 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 get off of me. There's Which this- is funny. First of all, like, there, there's, there's so many strange things about that. I mean, first of all, like, if you're going to be doing something like that, like, wouldn't you remove that, like, 80s power businesswoman suit that she's wearing? I, I can get, you know, I can get over the hairstyle looking like it comes from, uh, like, like a flock of seagulls. Yeah. But then, if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna make out with someone, you know, take off the constricting pea coat or whatever. That can't be comfortable. No, That's all I'm saying. No. It cannot be comfortable. Well, yeah, it, it was just weird because she's like in a, like a business suit, and he looks like he is like my drug dealer, like backwards hat, soul sure. patch. He, he looks like yeah, he looks shorts, like you know, he, has he looks on. like an amalgamation of every X Games athlete pushed together. Yeah. yeah. So so they're in this theater. She's trying to bone down. He's pushing her off and saying, no, 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 I love this movie. It hasn't, you have to, I, I missed the ending, blah, blah, blah. I missed the ending. The ending being, there's like these two mechs on screen that are fighting. He misses the, the big fight scene and the evil mech wins. The good mech powered by the hero of the movie, Captain Blue. You know, he's knocked, he's knocked, not only is he knocked out, but he's knocked into this, off of the screen and into the movie theater. But this is kind of like, turns into last action hero all of a sudden. And in oh the pro- my gosh. <laughs> in the process of being knocked out of the mech is knocked into the movie theater, picks up Joe. Uh, the evil mech has by this point grabbed Sylvia and flown away. Uh, so the good mech jumps back through the movie screen, flies towards. For some reason, is flying towards. You know, you see the opening scene is just you see this mech flying and then drops Joe. Just drops Joe into this garden with the weird mansion. Like it made like like wait a minute. Like this thing's a mech with like a strong pimp hand. Like why why is it dropping anybody? Why is there a mech? <laughs> What's going right. on? Right. Well, see, I was also I was a little concerned about why a guy named Captain Blue was piloting a mech that was clearly red. I feel like that's that that goes against like all sorts of like all sorts of color design. Sylvia's wearing blue too, if you didn't notice. So wink, wink. But Captain Blue actually comes up later in the in the level, in the first level. Actually, he trains you in your special effects powers. Oh sure, sure. He is he's the Mr. Miyagi here. And he shows up twice in the first level, and then once in the third, and then you don't see him again. Well, you don't see him again till the ending. Do you want to talk about the mechanics of this game? Yeah. So well, so it's interesting because you know there's only there's only two attack buttons in the game. You know, there's you have your punch button, you have your kick button. I actually didn't see that there was a kick button and went through the first two levels only punching. That you have your different video effects, your V fix that you acquire as the game goes on. So like you get your you get your slowdown, you get your fast forward, you get your zoom in. You can. You can unlock skills with points that you get through graded results. Mm-hmm. I didn't think many of them were all that useful. Yeah, and, and how uh, how it's presented on screen is you have your health bar at the top, which is a bunch of hearts, and then under that's a bar that's the VFX, which, by the way, I was a little disappointed. I was, like, at the end of the first level, my VFX bar was uh, you, you, you grab these reels to increase the amount of VFX you can use in a given level. And I thought that would carry over level to level, and they start you over at the start of the next level. It kind of screws yeah. with you a, a bit, you know. It kind of like throws your game off. Yeah, but at the same at the same time, though, by starting you over, I it certainly 
makes me feel not as obsessive about co- collecting every one of them. I can miss a bunch of them in one level, and I'll be fine, because no matter what, I'll be sent back to uh, to the starting point the, you know, for the next level. Right, right. Yeah, if you die, you you if you continue, basically, you lose all your lives. You have to start all the way back at the start of the game, uh, or whatever level you're on. And but you retain, but you retain everything you earned along the way. Oh, certainly, certainly, certainly. Yeah, and it's interesting because you know, the VFX, the VFX are used like some, some of them are used for combat, some of them are used for puzzle solving, some uh, are used for both simultaneously. And, there's, there's... and and while they're introduced with assistance, similarly with that uh, wall of text uh, tutorial that it kind of gives you, and you will generally get like little. You, you will get visual notices whenever you have to solve a puzzle using them. Mm-hmm. However, I feel like the spe- eventually the specific things you have to do to solve some of these puzzles get pretty overwhelmingly brutal. I'm going to get a little bit into theming here, uh, or a little bit of the character stuff. But the boss, Go for it. The boss on... The submarine level is uh, Joe's double. So you get to the end, you're in the submarine room, and it's his his mirror, essentially. And how that works so well with the submarine level is that a certain part of the level mirrors itself. You punch a button, and the entire level flips upside down. So it is, in a sense, a mirror of itself, much like the right. boss fight in that level is a mirror of Joe, which I found I found kind of nice. I felt like that, that was probably the first time I was like, these guys kind of know what they're doing here. Like they kind of like intentionally created a level design that fit into the boss. You know, they're, they're doing more to kind of fit things together than just random. That level was frustrating because the whole first part of it is like missiles getting shot at you. Oh, those freaking missiles. And you had to kind of duck into little coves and little like, or little alcoves and little, you know, low spots. But the hard part was like, some of those low spots you can't see. You have to do your little special VX move to just get, oh, sure. to get, get to a low spot. And I missed, like, two of them. And I was like, what the heck oh, am sure. I doing wrong? Am I... Right, right. That kind of gets back to the idea that, like, that you can really use your VFX for a lot of different stuff. But you kind of find out a lot of them by accident. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's never... They're like, while it holds your hand at the beginning, the quantity of things that you can do with it mm-hmm. is actually it's pretty uh, it's pretty surprising and i always felt kind of proud every time that i found one of those out yeah. but at the same time it's also incredibly frustrating because i'm just getting hit over and over again until i just luck into one of these what's great is in the theming from three so you kill the boss at the end of three yeah and he just kind of floats away he's the one boss that doesn't kind of die he just sort of disappears and runs away and then uh the the mirroring thing comes back again because Level four is exactly like level two. Yes, that's right, but at night. But at night, um, and you take a different path uh, to get to the boss. You are actually, you know, when you get to him, it's it's a character named Alistair, and he kind of is set up to be your rival. Or he That's what he calls himself. So that kind of right. mirroring... Right, he's your nemesis. Yeah, so that mirroring thing kind of keeps, continues on. I felt like those two levels, three and four, were probably the strongest two in this game mm-hmm. in terms of like connecting the fighting the characters you know the the this actual setting to the boss like trying to keep a like a constant thread and then after that it just goes back into let's make this as difficult or as you know let's just make these levels a bunch of fighting over and over again so yeah and it's interesting because you know those those started getting those were getting really frustrating i, I played 
I played it on uh, adult because I didn't learn better after the first few uh, after the first few levels. I was like I was stubborn enough, like you know what, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna get through this. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I feel bad for you. Well, it, it, it's interesting because and the only well, the only real differences from difficulty to difficulty are just okay. You hit for you hit for less damage. Enemies hit for more damage, and the enemies that appear are slightly more difficult versions of the prior ones. Yeah. There's like nothing else different. No, no, that's that's exactly how it is. In fact, that, there is. Uh... You know, speaking to the difficulty of it, you know, not just the ones we said at the start, but they sometimes introduce uh, uh, things you have to fight, and it's not clear how you're supposed to beat them. You know, right. like uh, the gorilla guy makes sense. You know, the big yellow gorilla-ish mm-hmm. uh, guy. Uh, just he makes sense. He's not even a boss. He's just a normal guy you fight because you can't hit his front, so it's make, it's clear. Oh, I got to figure out a way. To, and he's you, you can't hit his front. He's slow. So you figure mm-hmm. out, I gotta jump behind him and hit him in the back. Like, it just yeah. makes sense. But like, the ninja guys. I was going to bring up the ninja guys. They don't, there's no, you dodge them, and they kind of, uh, the, the game. Keep attacking. Yeah, if you don't know, the game has this way of when you, when a, when an adult in, in a kids mode, although it's, later you have to learn a different way, but in adult in kids mode, they telegraph where the person's gonna attack. If it's gonna be a low kick, or a high punch, or a lower high. Mm-hmm. And you, right, it's you, kind of a time crisis kind of vibe to it, where it just here's this big red signal coming up. Yeah, and you dodge, and when you dodge, it's essentially an opening to attack the guy. And with the ninjas, they they usually like attack twice, and then they actually attack a third time, but they don't tell you where it is. They don't tell you if it's low or high, so you have to memorize the ninja animation. And it's also frustrating because those guys are invincible while they're attacking. Maybe I caught one off guard in slow-mo, and then just left it on slow-mo as long as I could because once you kind of hit hit him once it opens up for more attacks. But yeah, mm-hmm. it was I that was the one I'd say, you know, normal character you fight that I was just you know, I I couldn't they never give you a clear understanding of how you're supposed to beat it. And even like playing around with stuff, they're too quick to jump behind an attack. Right. And you hit them once or twice and they just roll away. Right. Right. And 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 then eventually they start showing up with guns that <laughs> even those gun like guns that you you, know, you can you can punch back any bullet and missile in the game, and then it just, these guys just start showing up with missiles that you can't do anything but dodge. Yeah, that was that was that was a little bit of the frustrating part of it. You know, this that's the frustrating part with the difficulty, and maybe even a little bit the level of design, is that it's not that it's it's not that it's terribly difficult. It's not like it's hard to dodge or it's hard to figure out up and down, but it becomes very tedious. It becomes like you do it once against a group of monsters or against a group of whatever, robot puppets. The bosses especially. Yeah, and then you go five feet or you go to the next mini part of the stage and it's the exact same guys. You have to do it all over again. And then you go five feet and you do it all over again. <laughs> and then, you you know, it's it's you have to fight the same group or like a more difficult group like 30 times or 20 times. Maybe I'm exaggerating. 10 to 20 well, no, times I mean, in a level. Well, I, it's just... I mean, this especially was relevant playing on adult mode uh, for the bosses because the, I believe the boss fights were identical regardless of the difficulty. Yeah. But just they just last two to four times as long. Yeah, and uh, to speak a little bit in the abstract here, but it made me very much appreciate the Mega Man boss fights and how they're all on one screen. The frustrating. Oh my thing, gosh! Yes. The frustrating thing with the boss fights in this game is that 
and it's weird because it, sometimes the camera pans back so you can see everything. Yeah. And yeah, and it's almost completely random yeah. when it decides to do that. Yeah, and uh, you can't. But most of the time, it's pretty close into your where you're at. You know, you really and you really can't see that far outside of you. So you have to use audio cues to kind of figure out what the bosses are doing, which is great, you know, which is kind of a cool thing. Like, hey, I got to actually listen. I can't just do it all visually. Well, I found this. I found this especially to be true uh, for the for the double fight because for that fight you have to stick on him. Yeah. Like completely, you cannot let up. But he's teleporting all over the place, and there will be times where he'll teleport around the corner. Yeah. So yeah, just a brief. Uh thing about that fight is it's a you know like i said everything's flat but it'll turn so you get to like a corner you're fighting around the submarine engine and you'll get to a corner of the engine and the screen will turn kind of shift around it and so when he's behind when he's on the other side of this engine you can't see him but yeah you have but yeah but that fight you have to stay right next to him or he shoots the you know joes at you (laughs) he shoots oh yeah the thousand joes he shoots more joes at you and you can't miss though you can't escape those those things touch you and you're just even in slow well, I mean, you can uh, you can spin kick them, yeah. But like, you don't you don't I don't ever know when to stop. Right. Otherwise, I'm just sitting there with like in slow mo, constantly hitting uh, the kick button as I'm just spinning over and over, and I just continually get this groin shot just rotating around and around, <laughs> right. and it just kind of hypnotizes me for a while. Yeah, yeah. That was that was it. I, I didn't like the camera the camera pan when it gets close to you that power mm-hmm. kind of bugged me because it's like you like i never wanted to use it because you just lose all your visual like you just oh yeah you cannot see a damn thing yeah actually i made more use of that like more and more just after i just didn't really care like <laughs> yeah let's just attack everywhere let's let's see what's the worst that could happen right. oh i wind up losing half my health Eh, it was worth a shot. Yeah, yeah. It's, you do. That's the thing with this game is you. It's you cannot be reckless in any way. It's that, which is good. It's good for a game to do that. But you cannot. Mm-hmm. You cannot be reckless at all. And that kind of lends, which is you know, which would work better, make it more enjoyable, if it wasn't so tedious all the time, or if it wasn't so you know twenty or even timed. Yeah, yeah. Or when they... I mean, when you get when you get points based on the amount of time that it took you to do this, and also like I believe in the last level there are some fights that are actually timed. Here's eight guys. You have to fight them in a minute and a half, yeah. or you will die. Yeah, yeah. They did that in the hotel level. There's like a barrel behind you, and it slowly creeps up. Oh yeah. And you don't know when the last guy's gonna come out. You're just like trying to beat everybody up as quickly as possible. Oh my gosh! When I did that, I when I did one of those rooms, the uh, the sheriff guy did a little dive attack and got stuck in the wall where i couldn't hit him yeah same thing and so the barrel just kind of runs up and just well guess we're starting this level over yeah Yeah. so uh, so you know playing this game a little bit i'm curious if you you know i mentioned Mega Man earlier i'm wondering if you saw any other references or idea mostly ideas references galore in this game to movies games tv well the second the second boss even says who do you think you are Mega Man?" yeah Yeah, they're very—they're not even references. They're just sort of overt, like, like there's nothing subtle about them. I mean, they're waves. The they're whole, like little call call outs, I guess. Yeah, the whole—I mean, the whole last boss is just and just a Star Wars reference after Star is specifically Empire. Uh, uh, oh sure, but well, that entire level, yeah. Yeah, um, but I almost got—I almost got this. Uh, I have to check, take a look to see when it came out. The entire, like the last, the last boss and that last fight, uh, almost felt incredibly like Katamari Damashi. 
Yeah. Like, he had, he had that, like, uh, the king of all cosmos look to him. And also, you're fighting on top of the earth. Specifically, it it was interesting, because I kind of expected there to just be all Capcom-related, um, like, call-ins in there. But, you know, then you start seeing, like, in the, the scene where you land on the Death Star... Where you say, you say, oh, there's all these robs, rob the robots in the background for some reason. Right, right. Yeah, that's, um, but yeah, there's the, so the other references, and these aren't, I don't even know if these are ideas, but in terms of just pure references, no gameplay ideas, there's, you know, Godzilla, there's like the level two boss. Oh, the sound. Yeah, because like, he doesn't necessarily look a lot like Godzilla, but he makes the sound. So there's a, there's actually something I was curious about. So, the game, what, the reason this game pulls a lot of its references from movies is they have, they, they got inspired by what, oh, I can't think of the name, I'm going to mangle this, it's in Japanese, but it's like te, Tekasuna or te, Tetsusana, it's like a Japanese word for basically like anything with interesting special effects, hmm. so that's how he kind of got the idea for the story of this. And so that's why it blends, seemingly blends all these genres, uh, you know, mm-hmm. horror with the man bad at the beginning and Godzilla was a little sci-fi and the submarine stage and the Star Wars stage. All of those seem like different genres to you and I, but under this sort of tet, God, I'm, I'm, I'm mangling this. Tet- that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> under this banner, uh, in Japan, it's kind of like all these like kind of special effects things are kind of considered similar in a way. Mm-hmm. And so to make this game was to kind of, it's basically in all, in all practical terms, like a movie fan. And that's kind of how it comes across. Mm-hmm. But they had a special term for it in, in Japan. Oh, so so what you're saying is this is this game is not that would not be that different if it had been directed by Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like you're just he's just a big fan of a d- bunch of random styles uh, and, and practical stunt, practical effects kind of stuff. Okay. The other thing is uh, specifically we talked about Alistair before, but Alistair is the sword in Devil May Cry. I yes. Yes, you're right. So you could talk. You played the PlayStation 2. Did you get a chance to play as Dante? Oh, my goodness. Yes, yeah. Um, once once you beat the game in the PlayStation 1, you unlock you unlock Dante uh, for some reason. I also unlocked uh, to play as Sylvia as well. But all of them have different stories. They all have their own unique story. Sort of. Kind of. I mean, I mean they all, the they levels all, are the same. They all follow the same the same structure. Yeah. Yeah, they and they all uh this is actually pretty hilarious. They all have a similar opening cutscene. Really? The only thing that's different is the dialogue. Yeah, it's isn't it like mushmash like they kind of say they kind of talk like beaker and then they put like subtitles underneath. I'll have to post up video of these different of these different cutscenes cuz some of them are hilarious because playing as Sylvia you would, I, I would think, playing a Sylvia, oh, Joe gets kidnapped, then I have to rescue him. No, it's another Sylvia. Yeah, it's like Goldie, I think. Yeah, Goldie. Like, yeah, Goldie. What, what is this? Uh, <laughs> for doing it for Dante, not only do they, the characters speak like they were uh, characters from Magicka, where they have that like fake uh, Scandinavian accent to them, where they all kind of sound like the Swedish chef, mm-hmm. um, but you have to rescue Trish, I believe. Uh, and for some reason, uh, you're only in your underwear at the movie theater. You're just sitting, like, just there. You're, you're so letting it all hang so out. So Dante's a movie fan is what is what we've learned, what we're learning here. 
He's a fan of some things. I'm not entirely sure he knew what movie he was going to or what theater, for that matter. Is Trish in the theater with him? I mean, is it basically... Oh, yeah, she's the one who gets kidnapped. Is it the same thing as with Sylvia, though, where she tries to jump Dante's bones? Yeah, which is, again, it seems to be a bit more suiting, given that he's in the nude. But then you actually have to, like... Then you when you start the game out, you actually fight uh, with him in the nude. What What kind of movie theater is this? It's just, oh, yeah, here he is, here he is. He's just there in some tidy whities and you just go. So he's in tidy whities at this movie theater. What is going on? Like, why did we, why did they play this superhero movie? Unless there are scenes from that, from that Captain Blue movie that were left out on purpose, given the rating. Right, right. <laughs> Captain Blue, the best make-out movie of the year. <laughs> well, it, well, that was the other weird thing, is by the end of the, the, speaking to the theater, is by the end of the game when you're fighting oh spoiler alert, captain blue is in fact the evil boss who mastermind everything he was a director who got sucked into a movie theater or movie into movie land movie land's the name of the place mm. and then he thus pulled the strings to create joe to beat him i, I don't understand. <laughs> like that storyline made no sense why he would do that I think well I think he only well he only pulled you know, I think he only pulled Joe in just to kind of team up with him. You know, it's obvious when the like the mech grabbed him he was supposed to go in and you know he didn't really need to actually fight fight Joe. He just kind of did. I I thought it at least was interesting how you know he kind of ha- like blue kind of was doing this like, is due to, like, he even like made these movies due to his own kind of obsessive nature over these films yeah. to the point where he kind of neglected his family even including his Wink, wink, daughter. Yeah, his daughter, Sylvia. That, it was interesting that, like, throughout the game, I mean, Joe was fighting just to be awesome in the movie. He had, like, completely forgotten about his girlfriend, which, in a way, kind of made him almost identical to the very guy he was fighting. Yeah. Yeah, and they even make a line out of it at the end. They're like, Joe gets to, so Joe gets to, you know, gets to Blue. There's the big fight, which, you know, I'll let you speak to in a second. And after he beats him, Captain Blue has the big scene about, oh, I left my wife and I left my daughter. I'm so glad to be back. And then they pan to a once empty theater and it's a full audience now cheering. And it's like, huh? what? Where did this audience come from? Why are they watching mm-hmm. this movie? And Joe makes the line, hey, I thought this was, I thought this was called Beautiful Joe. Like, oh, this is what I thought this was my kind of story. And then, yeah, he's just kind of like a, a weird cipher that kind of goes nowhere like he, he nothing really happens to joe other than yeah he just kicks ass and sticks his tongue out and you know enjoys being in a movie yeah well i, I think it was ultimately kind of it was an origin story ultimately right in that final fight you know all of a yeah. sudden you are you see the mech and like, that is the very first thing that you see and through the entire game i'm like they better not this like they better not have messed up this Chekhov's mech that thing. Like, the entire game, I'm wondering when it's going to come up. You get to ride, you get to do your level on the six machine. Yeah, sure, that's fine. Then you actually get, like, this badass-looking mech that's very clearly made just for you. Yeah, it's red. It's red. You're red. It works. That's the way these, that's the way, like, these Power Ranger-type things are supposed to, are supposed to fly. And yet, when you actually start getting the mech, it's basically just you, except you have trouble walking. Instead, you just walk in, like, this really blocked, blocky and jagged area across the world. So it is just straight worse than just you by yourself. Yeah, and you're fighting on top of the world, right? Oh, yeah. Well, on top of movie world. A movie world, yeah. 
And then, you know, you're fighting Blue's the same size. All He's King Blue now. King, King. Yeah, Blue. the king of all cosmos. Who actually, it's interesting, uh, looks identical to the shadow mech that he was fighting in the beginning of that, in the beginning cutscene. Captain Blue is in the red mech. Yes. Captain Blue is in the shadow mech at the start of the That's first right. cutscene. Well, <laughs> I, I think he just is the shadow mech. But, uh, yeah, but uh, he's fighting himself. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, you know, we kind of went, went over through all the characters, but going into sort of the theming and how they tied a lot of this stuff together, there's a couple things. There's a couple things I really like uh, that that tied into this movie theme. Uh, like when you mm-hmm. pause it, it there's the reel to reel on the top. There's all the little references everywhere. But yeah, when you pa- did you ever pause when you die? It's not right, it always gives you the cut, cut, cut. But did you ever pause it? The first one's just like, let's take a break, and then you know, oh, let's mm-hmm. take a moment, and then. But I like the fifth level. He's like asking you if you took a shit or not. Like he's like, "Hey, you know, did you go number one or number two? That I, like it gets right. kind of creepy. Like it gets creepy. That. Yeah, and, and it's weird because it that like maintains that bathroom that bathroom humor. I believe there's another one that's just like you have to go again. Yeah, it, it's but like it's it sounds like a like a fifty year old movie grip. So it just you're just picturing this like weirdo guys just staring at you like oh yeah. <laughs> yeah just like watching you waiting to come out waiting for you to come out of the bathroom <laughs> yeah. you gotta take a number one or number two like you kind of I, I don't know i, I have to use a different camera for for that it's a little weird it's a lot <laughs> yeah it's it's overall like it was, it was sort of strange but yeah i kind of i liked that they did that yeah. i didn't like the direction they went with it no 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 and i even like uh, there's other elements too. I like the uh, the episodic sort of like superhero nature. You know, it sounded like a, like '60s Batman. You know, but I was going to bring that up too. That during the credits, there are move. There are either I think they're more movie poster than they are like comic book cover mm-hmm. for each of the levels you went through. Which made me wonder if each of those levels was a separate movie. And I'm wondering just how lame that, like, first or second movie must have really been. This is the hotel climbing movie. Hey, hey, to be fair, The Raid Redemption is an amazing hotel climbing movie. But, yeah, I think, you know, they did these things I thought fit into the movie theme really well. I think I find that, I found that charming and interesting. Oh, so, so did I, so did I. You know, the difficulty game aside, you know, I kind of like, the art style was great. You know, being a superhero had that comic book look, which, by the way, kind of held up today. Like, I was kind of shocked. I was like, oh, this looks like put a coat of paint on this thing, and it could probably pass for a game today coming out, you know, like an indie title kind of thing. Oh, certainly, certainly. There's one thing we both kind of said that Sylvia mentions in the game as, like, the plot twist. Yes, like, oh, well, now she becomes a superhero as well. Well, sort of. It's like, we're going to have this really low expectation of her because she's a female superhero, so we're going to give her little pom-poms. Yeah. Just to, just to clearly indicate that she's on the sidelines, just cheering on her boyfriend. It was, oh, yes, a little condescending. Because, a little? Because, oh, my goodness. Because they also how they introduced that scene is, like, Sylvia, like, is begging her dad to, like, hey, give me one of these. These V-watches is what gives everyone their superpowers. And... It's almost like a joke. Like, the only reason she gets it is because her dad's the director. Like, she doesn't deserve it. Like, 
I find that very insulting. I was like, well, Joe's just some douche off the street. Why does he get, why is he, what makes him so special? Yeah. yeah. I also felt it strange when she specifically says like, oh, well, we have to have some kind of plot twist even after the story is over. Yeah. It's like, okay, guys, we're good. We're done. Now we're going to have a plot twist. And it's not even a plot twist, even though apparently they, she felt the need to then explain what a plot twist was. Yeah, I, 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 I was baffled. I, that... Yeah, completely blew my mind. Well, it completely blew my mind, well, she's... preparing me, I suppose, for what immediately came after that cutscene. So wait, when they, when they, are you talking about when they, the credits and they like both pose? So the, cre- the credits like... are rolling, and then it just gets into this Japanese Lincoln Park knockoff. Where all of them, like all of the characters, are on different instruments, just rocking out. I, I missed that. I must have blacked out. Oh my out. goodness. I blacked out at this point. It was insane. It, like, it just, I, I could not handle it. Was I just, there? I was cackling the entire time. Like, it is completely a Linkin Park song. Gosh, I don't remember this at all. The only thing I remember was it, the credit scene is your typical game credit scene where it shows every character and every type of, you know, uh, mm-hmm. monster you fought. I always like that. I always like that yeah. touch of here's all the monsters and here are all their names. Yeah. yeah like yeah. I am, I am never going to remember this. Yeah, just I say that despite probably having memorized most of the Kirby characters names. The only thing I remember was, yeah, it goes through your typical credits scene like that. And then it's just a big, you know, typical, another kind of stereotypical credit ending. It's just a giant picture of all the characters at once. So I don't remember this, this, Oh yeah, and that's Lincoln where it gives that's, that's where it gives the everybody love everyone loves a hero, everyone loves you line that I adore. I love that. I love that. <laughs> everybody loves you. I I absolutely adore every time uh every time the video game credits have like a special thanks to and it gives a list of names and then the final one is and you. Yeah. I always really like that. Yeah. And so this was just an extension of that. Everybody loves. Yeah. I don't know if that was like a weird translation. Or if that was just like, there. Screw it. Everybody loves you. Yeah. Like, hey. No, here's a, thank you. Hey, that's, everybody. Here's a little vote of confidence for you. That's, that's a very nice game. I, I, that's okay. I don't really feel that way about you. Hey there, Skip. But... Hey there, Skip. You know, you're having a tough day. Just let, just let, just to let you know, Joe and his gang think everybody loves you. Welcome back to One More Turn. This is the Indie Spotlight, where we take a look at some of our favorite and most, more engaging indie games. This week, I am playing Year Walk on the iPhone. It's a, well, it's, it's I don't know how to quite describe it. It's, uh, it's a game where you, it's a first-person perspective. You swipe in order to move, you know, left, right, forward, back. Uh, you are a character who is is walking you know it's a it's a swedish game convert you know translated to english you are walking around sort of the this sort of magical forest and you, you, you are, start in this magical forest you you have a cabin there it's a weird introduction you start you have this cabin you walk out to the you you know you kind of the intro is you walk out to this windmill where this girl's like you're gonna do the weird year walk are you crazy blah 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 i'm gonna get married next year and then it just fades into you back at the cabin, and now it's nighttime, and you just sort of walk through the forest, and you see these. You, you there's all these like symbols written on trees. You 
go to places where there's these creepy like dolls hanging from uh ca- you know uh, in a cabin and everything that's kind of creepy is kind of like a clue to a puzzle to be solved in order to get to sort of the next stage so you're in this this uh, you know i guess level you would call it that's locked at the end how you, how much of what you're describing could also be said about mist yes that's it's very mist it's very mist like it, it, uh, except instead of point and click, it's swipe and touch. Sure, and you don't have to mash on piano keys in this giant rocket ship. No, you have to mash on owls in order to get them to sing. What? <laughs> yeah. What? There's a part what? you go. It's supposed to be the whole what thing. What do they sing? Like, uh, just tones. So it's supposed to be. They like, don't like hoot. They don't hoot different things. It's it's hoot. They hoot, but they have two tones. So you're you go okay. I'm, like like if, I don't know what you're going to do here. Like are you just starting like who let the dogs out and then you just mash on a couple <laughs> owls just to finish the line? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it it's supposed to be like. I guess when you do these, I guess this year walk is maybe like a real thing. Although I think it's one of those, you know, quote unquote real things that people it sounds do. Sounds like a pilgrimage. Yeah, and it's it's basically what happens is I'm not, I think you're supposed to fast at certain points of this walk, and it's supposed to be the part where I think you're fasting, and so you start hallucinating. So you can you, you can you eat normally? Like, is is that an option that you have? No, there's no eating or anything like that. It's just walking around and touching things mostly. But it has this cool, like, ambiance. The style, it's, it's you know, it's a minimalistic style. You know, it looks very, it's cartoony, but sort of like a, a, it just sort of gives, like, a weird, creepy minimalism vibe to it. It's just snow, trees, and, the, and whenever you see an object, you're like, holy crap, what's that? And, and there's nothing explained other than that you're on the year walk, and you're just kind of cruising around these little areas trying to figure out how to get to the next one. And... I guess the motivation is to get you through it in order to meet this girl again, you know, complete the year walk before she gets married. It's, it's very unclear as to why you're doing it, but it just has like a good atmosphere. It's like a, like a, like a, like a David Lynch movie. There's just a good, there's not always a story there. There's just like, God, this is kind of, this is kind of weird. You know, like Twin Peaks. I remember like Twin Peaks. Sometimes Twin Peaks, you're just like, what is going on? But you still want to explore it. Yeah, but you're like, this is fascinating, so I'm going to stick around. And I, have, I haven't gotten out of the first section yet. I'm still pretty far at the beginning of this thing, but I, I enjoy it so far. It reminds me a lot of, I guess, yeah, I, I was going to say there was a game I played when I was a kid called The Hobbit uh, that was The Hobbit, and it was a text-based game. But at certain points, like, the screen would be illustrated. And it uh, it reminds me a lot of that. Like, there's just a, there's, you know, you just sort of feel like you're in this kind of, magical environment and you come across these sort of static static screens that you have to kind of touch and explore i guess mist would be a better better do you feel like you're in danger during this no 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 it's it's there's no danger at all not that i've come to i think once you start solving the puzzles there's probably a timer uh but it's more it's more of like a serene experience than it is um like something that you feel that you have to accomplish yes exactly exactly how about you, Jim? What are you uh, What are you playing this week? So, I've been going back uh, through some my uh, my catalog of some of my favorite games made in RPG Maker uh, of different years. Um, I there's one that I'd like to I'd like to mention to you specifically, Kevin, uh, called Off. Uh, it's made by a group called Unproductive Fun Time in RPG Maker 2003. Mm-hmm. It is one of the most haunting experiences I have had in my life, let alone Haunt- video games. 
Haunting in what way? I mean, I, I've, 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 I feel like I've heard of Off, but I don't think I've, ever, I've never played it. Well, so first, the visual style is eerie. It is it all of the mon, all of the monsters. They look like they're done. They're pencil sketches, um, specifically pencil sketches from someone that was bored in high school and was trying to design something for the cover of whatever garage rock band they were trying to put together at the time. It's a lot of anarchy symbols. Oh uh, yeah, and pentagrams. <laughs> no, it's a lot of a lot of ghosts and the okay. like. Because what you're okay. you are the batter. You are a baseball player who is trying to purify the world of its impure spirits uh, okay. through the with the help of this Cheshire cat-looking thing named the Judge, who only really speaks to you in cryptic riddles, and you are just trying to explore this really bizarre world. I'm starting to think between your and my game, we might we might sound like we're on acid trips when we're playing. Like this is an acid trip indie spotlight here. Oh, no, you have no idea, man. <laughs> uh, like the very first zone uh, goes into the details of how of how this world that you're exploring works, and it goes through the the many different elements in this world where it's not just your simple fire, water, wind, and earth. Instead. It goes into these these strange cutscenes that look like they come from the manuals of 1910 or 1920s Industrial Revolution gear, where you see a lot of like diagrams of people working at machines or working in mines, uh, like almost like a Wondermark comic, mm-hmm. and it describes all of the how the different elements are extracted from the world, like so- the element of smoke which comes out of the smoke mines. The element of metal, which is comes out of the anthrax mines, right? No, the, metal the is mines? metal no. is found through raising livestock, cutting the livestock into, and extracting the boulders. All the poor quality boulders are then discarded, becoming the ground that everyone walks on. And then all of the good boulders <laughs> have the metal inside that is then used uh, as its natural element. There's the plastic administrations. Mm-hmm. Where people fill out forms randomly, package them up, then ship them out in return for plastic. So it, let me let me let me go back. This sounds like a lot of industry in this game, and I'm oh, wondering what's what's being purified here. I mean, it sounds like a full functioning world. I mean, you got the the, the Ministry of Plastic, right? But there's problem is that there's all of these spirits that are interrupting all of the operations in this world that you are mm-hmm. then called in in order uh, to assist with. Is it like a hero's calling kind of game, or is it more just you? You're you're just you work at the bureau, and you have, and that's your part of your job. No, you're more of a rogue, like more like a bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, like everyone is sort of is very uncomfortable in dealing with you. I mean, you're a guy who just walks around with a baseball bat and smacks ghosts with it. <laughs> okay, I thought so. <laughs> I'm trying to picture these ghosts, like, hitting them with a bat. So you can actually hit – it doesn't just fly through them. They're not like Slimer. Like, it is – Well, no, are... I mean, it's a game that's made an RPG maker, so it's going to oh, have okay. that, like, Final Fantasy VI type of fight scene. Okay. Uh, except uh, all, even all, all of the backgrounds in it, like, in those fight scenes, they're eerie. Everything about this game makes me uncomfortable, especially the ending, which I will not get to, obviously, but seriously, right. play this game.
Intro music is IED, courtesy of Pixel Hate. That's Pixel H with an 8, off his album, End of the Revolution. You can find his music online at pixelhate.co.uk. Our break music is Blue Paint by Breakbeat Heartbeat, off his album 2206, and is courtesy of Breakbeat Heartbeat and the Waveform Generator. You can find his music online at soundcloud.com slash breakbeatheartbeat. One More Turn is produced and hosted by Kevin King and Jim Staholsky. You can find us online at facebook.com slash onemoreturn or on Twitter at onemoreturnpod. For questions, comments, or suggestions, email us at onemoreturnpodcast at gmail.com. We'll make sure to read your feedback just after we play, oh, one more turn. (laughs) 